All financial advice provided on this show is for entertainment and educational purposes only. The financial ideas and strategies discussed are only provided as a starting point for a conversation about money matters. With regard to your particular investments and financial strategies, consult your financial planner, CPA, or investment professional. All your financial decisions are yours and yours alone to make and subsequently are solely your responsibility. The information that is supplied through the context of the radio program and any repurposing of its content by the host or network is a combination and collection of solid financial investment understanding, opinion, and comments. This network, show, and its host are not liable for financial strategies, outcomes that you employ in any manner that result in any kind of loss. Shares of corporate sponsors may be the subject of buy or sell recommendations in Jay Taylor's newsletter in accordance with Jay's objective opinion. Welcome to Turning Hard Times into Good Times with your host, Jay Taylor. This hour will help investors fix issues and achieve personal gain. Now, here's your host, Jay Taylor. Welcome to Turning Hard Times into Good Times. I'm your host, Jay Taylor. I'm speaking to you from New York City, the Burke of Queens, May 24th, 2022. I do, uh, before we talk more about today's show, I'd like to remind you that I am the editor of a newsletter called Jay Taylor's Gold Energy and Tech Stocks. You can subscribe to that letter by going to miningstocks.com. Miningstocks.com, or you can call our office here in New York City uh, during normal work hours, 718-457-1426. Also, like to encourage you to consider signing up for Chen Lin's letter, What is Chen Buying, What is Chen Selling? That's at ChenPicks.com. Chen has real uh, strength in the biotech sector, which he's done extremely well with and has some exciting stories there now that he's passing along to his subscribers. And we like to also remind you that uh, Michael Oliver can be subscribed uh, to his excellent newsletter, Momentum and Structural Analysis, by going to OliverMSA.com, OliverMSA.com. Michael will be with me in just a few moments to give us his uh, take on these tumultuous markets, and you're not going to want to miss what Michael has to say, I'm sure. Uh, we want to thank all of you for listening, making it one of the more popular shows in the Voice America Business Channel. also like to encourage you to send along whatever comments you have about this show to questionsfortaylor at gmail.com, questions, the number four, taylor at gmail.com. We also uh, want to thank our sponsors for making this show economically viable. Today's sponsors are Irving Resources, Noble Resources, LOO Resources, Core Assets Corp., Timberline Resources, Lion One Metals, SK Mining, and Rena Gold Corp a new sponsor to the show, and we'll be speaking to the CEO of that company in a few minutes from now. I've titled today's show, How Serious Is the Fed About Tightening Credit? Or you might ask the question in a different way, How Serious Is the Fed About Fighting Inflation? Peter Bokvar, Michael Oliver, returned as guest. And then, as I noted, Michael Wood, the CEO of Reno Gold, will visit for the first time. Peter Bukvar recently stated on CNBC that the Fed is embarking on the most aggressive tightening program in 40 years. He also recently noted that sell-side analysts have not yet begun to lower earnings estimates for this year and that, will, and that that will most certainly result from tighter monetary conditions and resulting operating costs increases uh, that are arising from supply chain disruptions and inflationary pressures, pressures in general. Well, for me personally, I'm guessing that analysts will very soon start altering their earnings projections downward for these companies, especially given what we've just seen this past week, last week, in fact, with the retail sector. Some blood in the streets there in that sector, that's for sure. Uh, I will ask Peter for his overview of the markets, where he thinks we are headed, and how he and his team at uh, advisors at Blakely Capital 
are coping with uh, these tumultuous markets. And in the second segment, uh, that's when we'll talk to Michael Wood, the CEO of uh, of Arena Gold, a new sponsor of this show. Uh, these this is a company that has some very exciting exploration projects. One in particular in northwestern Mexico, gold project. Uh, and we'll learn more from Michael Wood when he comes on uh, in the second segment of today's show. But right now, I'm happy to tell you that Michael Oliver is with me. And boy, is it good to have Michael with us uh, at times like these. Well, Michael, thanks for joining me again. Good to be here. It's good to have you here. I know you're safe and secure up there in the Rocky Mountains somewhere, nestled away in your Heidi place. But uh, we're down here in New York City, so we're wondering what you're thinking up there in the safety of your of your place where you live up there. Well, you, some people are, yeah. You're hiding. <laughs> so, so some people I'm are hiding in you know, Gulch. Gulch. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Good for you. Uh, well, some people are comparing the present stagflation to that of the 1970s when Paul Volcker put an end to an inflationary problem that seemed to be spiraling out of control. That paved the way for a couple of decades of booming stock and bond prices. And recently, though, uh, Jerome Powell seems to think that he's the second coming of Paul Volcker, he believes that he's going to be able to do the same thing uh, that Mr. Volcker did, that is to tame inflation, put it back in a box, get it below that magic 2% level, which for some reason is sacrosanct to these guys. Uh, but in a note to me this morning, you suggested that Powell doesn't understand that his problem is much more different, is much different uh, than what Volcker faced and, and probably much more, uh, much more of a challenge than what Volcker faced. Uh, talk to us about that. Sure. Uh, first off, before we start, when I use the word inflation, when I do, I, I don't uh, reference uh, that it's commodity-related. Okay, everybody uh-huh. seems to think inflation is only when commodities go up. Right, you know, right. Prices, of stuff cool. in a grocery store, gasoline, all that. We've had inflation for decades. It's, it goes and goes and goes. The money supply increases basically double every decade since 1959. Uh, since over the last two years, it's gone up uh, parabolically. Okay, uh, it, Powell used the excuse of the virus and so forth. And he bought assets as well. So monetary inflation is the issue. It's not the issue of where did it go. Because sometimes the flow of that river flow is diverted by asset managers and investors into different places. For instance, in the late 70s, they diverted it into commodities and gold. Not to stocks. Stocks were wasteland from 1975 through 1982. You didn't make any money in the mm-hmm. stock market. It went up and down, didn't go anywhere. It was the commodity boom, basically, that began in mid-'76. Gold made a secondary low there at 103. It went up to 850 by January of 1980, so three and a half years. Commodities also went up. Mm-hmm. They tripled. Gold went up eightfold. Okay. Volcker came in, and he's regarded as the guy who brought down inflation. Okay. Well, if you consider it to be commodities. Yes. First off, back then, you'd already had an eight-fold move. Volcker got, was put into office in late 1979. Gold peaked three months right. later. Okay. Mm-hmm. The Fed funds rate back in the mid-1970s when gold was making its secondary low at 103 after having been at 200 in 1975. It pulled back in 76 to 103, which got cut in half. And then it started mm-hmm. its three-and-a-half-year bull market. All during that time, the Fed funds rate went from like 4% up to by the time Volcker came in, about 12%, he jerked it up in the last months of 1979 to 15%. And finally, in March of 1980, gold had already peaked in January and dropped a couple hundred bucks. Mm-hmm. He raised it to 20%. Mm-hmm. 
But if you look at a gold chart then and look at a Fed funds chart, gold didn't care that the Fed was constantly, dramatically raising rates. It still went up eightfold. Right. Okay. Finally, it peaked. Well, why not? It went up eightfold in three and a half years. <laughs> so as a technician, it was no surprise to us to see gold peak, and also uh, about six months later to see the commodity complex peak, mm-hmm. the CRB index, in late 1980. Volcker takes credit for that, but in fact, the interest rate rise had been ongoing all during the late 70s. A sharp right. That's true. He simply That's added true. a few more sharp points. They were ready to top anyway. Okay. Now back then, it's true that inflation, quote unquote, was commodity related. CRB uh-huh. had tripled in value. Okay, gold had gone up eightfold. This time around, it's a totally different bubble that's about to break. It's in fact in the process of breaking. It's a stock market bubble. Mm-hmm. The S and P has gone up eightfold since two thousand nine. And uh, the NASDAQ 100 has gone up about 16-fold over a 12-year period. Uh, So there's your your asset bubble now. It's not the commodity complex. In fact, if you look at a Bloomberg chart and compare it to the price levels it had back in 2008 and 2011, we're not even near those highs. Yes, it's been a dramatic move up out of the hole on a percentage basis. But in terms of old mm-hmm. historic highs in the commodity complex, we're not even near it. And we've only been going up for a year and a half. It's not very old. Mm-hmm. And it's certainly not mm-hmm. overbought. Gold, meanwhile, mm-hmm. has only doubled since late 2015. It's not gone up eightfold. And over the last year and three quarters, it's gone sideways. So, you know, mm-hmm. there's no bubble there. So when he goes in to prick the bubble, he's pricking it. For example, let's say you're a portfolio manager or you're a, a financial planner and you give people advice. Your normal components of a portfolio would be, well, the stock market, uh, municipal bonds, high-yield corporate debt, U.S. Treasuries, real estate. Okay? How are they doing this year, just the th- first five months? S&P is down uh, about 8%. Uh, mm-hmm. NASDAQ is down 8, no, excuse me, NASDAQ is down to 8, 28%, S&P is down about 18%, Muni right. bonds are down 9%, high-yield corporate debt down 13 U.S. Treasuries, using the TLT ETF as our benchmark, down 20%, mm-hmm. and real estate ETFs down about 17%. So every single component of a normal orthodox portfolio is being smashed. Mm-hmm. This is a crisis because the alternatives haven't worked. The T-bonds have not worked. Uh, they're mm-hmm. in a rally right now, but they're still down 20% on the year. So if you're looking at your portfolio, mm-hmm. you're in bad shape. What's up mm-hmm. on the year? And nobody seems to be talking about it. Gold's up 2% on the year. Well, you know, who mm-hmm. cares? Well, it's up. It's about the only core portfolio asset component that is, you know, it's, it, it's always been considered, you know, marginal, but always sort of in the portfolio as a possibility. It's up 2%. Yeah. Nobody's, nobody's noting it. Well, I think mm-hmm. it's going to get noticed more and more as time goes by. Anyway, mm-hmm. so the bubble is breaking is the stock market and these other linked assets. What is the central bank going to do once it becomes bleeding obvious that they get out of control on the downside and that the economic metrics that we're used to seeing you know, every week, the you know, metrics that the Fed looks at, data points, as Powell calls it, start to turn negative rapidly, and they are. They're starting to. Is the Fed going to keep raising rates? But more importantly, what are they going to do with their balance sheet? Mm -hmm. You'll notice that as they've 
they're going to raise rates a half a point, half a point, half a point again in June and July. But their changes in the balance sheet haven't even begun yet. They're supposed to start in right. June, and they're very moderate. Okay, and they're mm-hmm. going to start divesting themselves of these assets that they outright purchased, like mini bonds and so forth. I'll make a bet that as the data points come across, and Powell made this point in his last conference, it was very subtle. He used the word, word data sensitive, meaning I could change my mind. Okay. Yeah. As the data points change, I bet the tapering off of the their balance sheet is going to be very small and it might, might even come to a halt because they're going to need to start buying some of these assets again just simply to support them. Now, therefore, when you look at commodities, for example, I, everybody thinks it's transient. It's, I think that's the popular term. Bloomberg yeah. looks to us like the, the worst it could do right now is drop about 10 points. That's a, that's a small mm-hmm. percent, a single-digit percent correction, even if it corrected. Meanwhile, within the Bloomberg... Forget the oil market. It might be somewhat exhausted for the time being, but watch natural Mm -hmm. gas, watch sugar, Mm -hmm. and watch the food commodities, especially this summer. The grains look ripe to do something very dramatic. So does sugar. These are basic foodstuffs. That's not been an issue up to this point. But if suddenly you start getting into food price inflation that gets dramatic, that's when you get sensitivity among the, the populists and investors and so forth and instability, perhaps, in certain systems. So gold is watching this, and I think that's why gold isn't down like the S&P or the NASDAQ mm-hmm. or all these other asset categories. It's still up on the year. Mm-hmm. And I think somebody's buying it. To get my, the message, yeah, buddy, I'm not going down. It's the only asset category across the globe that's basically up on the year. So keep that in mind when you assess gold. Mm-hmm. I think its, it's well, potentials are quite dramatic as these events unfold. Well, certainly, uh, you know, if we start having food uh, already, people are uh, having a really tough time with putting gas in their cars, putting food on their table. Uh, you know, average people, uh, people that live uh, one paycheck to the next are in big trouble right now. Uh, and you can just see it coming. There's going to be more checks doled out, probably more deficit spending by the federal government. How's that going to be paid for, Michael? How's that going to be well, paid for? I mean, as, as <laughs> Alistair McLeod talks about, there is a you have a choice. The Fed has a choice. The government has a choice. Either you defend the currency by allowing interest rates to go where the market will take them, or you destroy the currency. And I, I suppose you're suggesting the gold market is is seeing a destruction of the currency. Well, certainly that's what we've been having on us, uh, at least on a, on a moderately uh, paced basis, right? But what mm-hmm. happens if, yes. if this thing really gets out of control and then it's, it's the whoosh, as you call it? Yeah. I, I think the events could be is the – I go with chaos theory at this point. Instead of an incremental change in these market trends and the real-world consequences of those changes, including political, mm-hmm. social disorder and all these things, I think it'll be – chaos theory time where things will unfold rapidly. I'm suspecting that by this fall we're going to, we're going to see all kinds of very rapid events having unfolded. Um, and I, I still love the fact that when you, <clears throat> there was a Wall Street Journal section in the paper the other day about uh, what, what you can do to help yourself during an inflationary time, and they had like 10 things to do, none of them mentioned buying gold. Mm-hmm. No, they're not programmed uh, that, that way. That doesn't they're... seem to be. No, I have not heard it pointed out that gold is the only asset up on the world, up, up on the up on the year. Why not? Yeah, no. no I'm yeah, sure you don't some hear, you don't, yeah. realize this. <laughs> so, 
Well, I think as a vested interest, and in, I mean, we've been programmed not to think that way, Michael. And you know, they they, they don't they, certainly the powers that be don't want us trading our dollars in for gold, or they'll lose their. I mean, Alan Greenspan understood that and, and talked about it a long, long time ago. Um, that it's yeah. the enemy of socialism is is gold. It gets in the way of the socialist programs and all these government guys. They're how do they stay in office? They give things away, right? So. That's where we're at. But I mean, how, how do we protect ourselves? And you're just saying the Wall Street Journal of all of all publications should have should be aware of that. Uh, what retains its value? What is real money? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yes. So speaking. Uh, so speaking of real speaking of real money, Michael, the second best money there is, in my view, is is silver. Silver. How's absolutely. that looking to you? No, I, I think it's I I have a bet with myself <laughs> that silver will vastly outpace gold over the next year or two, in the, in the remainder of this bull trend. And I think the bull trend could be historic for gold, not just another eightfold. It could be something off the page, because the other events that are occurring in other markets indicate to us that this is not a normal, fundamental, or technical time. Mm-hmm. I don't think there's been a period like this in the history of modern America, period. Uh, uh-huh. This is not 1929. It's far worse in terms of the fundamentals that will cause the decline. And I think there's one asset that will beat the the pants off all the others. And once that realization begins to dawn on portfolio managers, even whether they don't like it emotionally or not, they're going to realize, mm-hmm. hey, it's the only thing that's up, the only thing that's gaining. I've got to be there. You know, yeah, I think that's right. That's when, we'll, that's, that's when and, we'll and get the just, whoosh. Yeah, and that's, I think you will get a dramatic whoosh out of silver. Now, we've, we're waiting for a re- sufficient recovery off this, what we think is a false downside breakout by silver, which took out the three lows of the last year and a half, year and three quarters, all which dipped below 22. That was September mm-hmm. 19, uh, 2020, two times in 2021, silver dropped under $22 briefly. This time, we went all the way down to 2040, so we swept those lows. Right now, we're back above 22 again. So it looks like mm-hmm. that breakout didn't quite take, and we're looking for some numbers overhead that will indicate okay they're gonna it's it's going back up, uh, and I suspect on a percentage basis that silver will vastly out, outpace gold. It will right. again, that, again uh, become that, the poor man's gold. <laughs> that's usually the way it works. Anyway, we're going to have to leave it go at that, Michael. Thank you so much for sharing your thoughts on this. Uh, uh, on you, all these important topics. Thank you very much. All right, Thank folks, you. we do have to go to break now, but don't go away because Michael Wood will be back with me to talk about uh, the very exciting story, a gold exploration story in northwestern Mexico. Don't go away. We'll be right back with Michael Wood. Lion Wine Metals is focused on high-grade gold in Fiji, led by legendary Canadian financier Walter Barakoff. Lion One is permitted for production and drilling for discoveries in one of the most exciting high-grade gold projects in the prolific South Pacific Ring of Fire. Lion One trades on the TSX Venture Exchange under the symbol LIO and on the OTCQX under the symbol LOMLF. Go to our website at liononemetals.com for more information about Lion One Metals and high-grade gold in Fiji. SK Mining Corp. Trading under the symbol ESK on the TSX Venture and ESKYF on the OTCQX is a mineral exploration company targeting precious metals, rich VMS deposits in the heart of British Columbia's Golden Triangle. 
SK Mining controls a prospective land package totaling 130,000 acres, which lies across a geologic trend that once hosted the prolific SK Creek Mine. With a world-renowned geological team, funding in place, and shareholders such as Eric Sprott, SK Mining is on the cusp of a world-class discovery. Go to skmining.com to subscribe for updates. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. You're listening to Turning Hard Times into Good Times with your host, Jay Taylor. If you have a question or comment about today's show, Jay would love to hear from you at 1-866-472-5790. That's 1-866-472-5790. You can also send an email to questionsfortaylor at gmail.com. That's questions, the number four, taylor at gmail.com. Now, back to our program. Welcome back, Turning Hard Times and Good Times. I'm your host, Jay Taylor. Really happy to have with me for the first time, Michael Wood. He is the CEO of a new sponsor to this show, that is Raina Goldcorp. I'm really happy to have them as sponsors. Uh, Michael holds a bachelor's degree in economics from Cardiff University and an MBA from Hong Kong University of Science and Technology. He started his career in wealth management in London before joining the Metropolitan Police where he progressed uh, to be a detective conducting counterterrorism investigations for Scotland Yard's Counterterrorism Command. And Mr. Woods is currently, as I mentioned, he's a CEO of Arena Gold Corp, um, which holds a portfolio of projects in northwestern Mexico. Uh, it is a story that I'm really interested in, in hearing about, so I'm thankful you could join us today. Michael, thanks. Thanks for being with us. Yeah, thanks for the intro, Jay. Great to be here. No. I love you. You pulled out my police background. Uh, <laughs> that was a great, great career. That I was there for five years, but mainly finance. I've been in resources, you know, since 2010. Well, again. what is so, it, um, Yeah, it, it is. A, it is. It is an unusual career path, to be sure. So, if we had time, we'd love to get into that. But uh, time yeah, is limited, no, so we want to get in. <laughs> we 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 do want to get into the Reina Gold story for sure. I should tell our listeners: trades in Canada, the symbol R E Y G. You can buy it down here in the States under R-E-Y-G-F. 66.8 million shares. It's uh, trading at Canadian 18 cents earlier today, which means it is a baby microcap company at 12 million in Canadian. That would give us something a little less than 10 million in U.S. dollars. So, um, you, so you have several gold exploration properties located in northwestern Mexico. Uh, is there something special geogra- geologically about that area that, that uh, has your company focused there? Because I know I think there's at least four properties you have there and one in particular you're really focused on. Yeah, definitely, Jay. Um, Northwestern Mexico is the heart of gold mining in Mexico today and copper mining as well, in fact. And there's been a lot of in the last 30 years uh, since the signing of NAFTA when capital and expertise flowed in. And the, the area is still relatively underexplored. So we put together yeah, four big properties, 57,000 hectares in northwestern Mexico, made gold trends. In what we've done is put together, you know, in a vastly underexplored area, big land package with a world-class exploration team. And then, like you mentioned, Jay, we, we're at market cap is of about $12 million. We have about $9 million in the bank. So unfortunately, as has been uh, the case across a lot of juniors, our share price is more than halved over the last four weeks as, as the sector's kind of really got risk off. 
so yeah, definitely a very interesting entry point for new people to the story. Uh, we, we, you know, we, what we're looking at, Jay, and very similar to our sister company, Raina Silver, is looking for district scale properties. You know, we're not looking for oh, good. small. Um, and we can get into that in a bit more detail. We already have a lot of satellite deposits at La Gloria, which are economically mineable, but we want to understand the system and we want to build up a big deposit. That's the focus uh, of what we're doing at Raina Gold. Yeah, La Gloria is your flagship property, um, and and I always like to start with the people. And I know you have some very strong people, technically strong people, uh, Peter Magal and some other people. Could you talk, just real briefly, perhaps, just talk about the people that you have, the management team, because that's where you start with. And I know uh, Dr. Magal has certainly been involved with a lot of great discoveries in his in his history. Yeah, definitely. And, and, you know, you're just a really key, and, and it's great. It, it's really Peter's brainchild. When we were working with Pete, Peter on, on Raina Silver, he really emphasized to myself and Jorge the importance of, of gold exploration in northwestern Mexico and the potential. So Peter Peter's very passionate about making a big gold discovery uh, and very passionate about what we're doing at Raina Gold. We also have Doug Kerwin, who, you know, is a world-class geologist, worked with Robert Friedland for 17 years as VP of Exploration. Doug is a great expert in disseminated gold systems, is what we have here, very similar to on the Carlin trend in Nevada. And then underneath Doug and uh, Peter's uh, guidance, we have world-class uh, Mexican local geologists from Sonora, all hired from the major companies, from Agnicol Eagle, from Fresnillo, from Alamos Gold. And, you know, I've just been at site with them for two days. They're doing an amazing job out in the field, really starting to understand the system the directions of the minimization and, and finding more and more targets. So delighted with the geological team. The management team, uh, my, myself, uh, I work in uh, out of Hong Kong with both Jorge, uh, CEO of Rainer Silva, and Marco Rock, the CEO of Cassiar Gold. I'm on the board of Cassiar. You know, we've had good success mm-hmm. uh, with both Rainer Silva and Cassiar. Cassiar's done very well. We just closed a board deal today. It's great to be getting a board deal, you know, as a junior. So definitely from that side as well, we, you know, we, we raised $13 million for Rainer Gold. We've got good capital. And we're in a good position now to make good exploration uh, advancements during the course of 2022. Mm-hmm. So you have, um, as I understand, there's two north, northwest, southeast regional faults over 75 kilometers in strike length. And you've got 40 historic workings, uh, 11 targets identified. I don't know if that's up to date or not, the information yeah, I'm looking at. Yeah, four different right there, style yeah. mineralizations. There's di- four different types of gold mineralization there. Uh, what can you talk a little bit about how you're going to be exploring? What is your current program? And and uh, you mentioned you're pretty well financed at this time, I gather. Yeah, no, definitely. So this is the beauty of this property, and it's really multiple projects within one project. We have multiple targets. We're really focused on four targets uh, initially, uh, but these targets are two, three thousand hectares each. So you know we have a twenty-four thousand hectare property in total and multiple projects within this big project. And as you mentioned, we're finding multiple styles of gold minimization at surface, which is amazing, right? To be finding it at surface, it's so economic. Now, what we really want to understand and what Peter is so great at is understanding the, the system. You know, we, we want to start looking where's the source of this minimization been coming from. You know, we start tracking that. We start to understand the whole system. And then you can get a really big price, right? That's, that's what we're looking for. La Hoadoa, the biggest gold mine in Mexico, is just up the road. 16 million ounces now being discovered at La Hoadoa. They mine four to 500,000 ounces a year, have done since the mid-90s. Right, There's a monster deposit. So, uh-huh. you know, Peter looks for elephants. He's excited by what he calls elephants. We know there's elephants there, and we believe we're sitting on an elephant right here at the Gloria. It's, it's really 
like Sonora as a whole, vastly underexplored. Uh, a, a Canadian junior in the mid 2000s had it, did minimal work, really didn't have access to capital uh, or, or wheating great expertise. Uh, they were looking in some interesting places, but really just scratching the surface. So, so much potential, so many targets being uncovered, and yeah, delighted to have the financing to really advance the property. Uh, you know, I think we can. We're aiming to make pretty good advancements during 2022, but this is, you know, what what we're aiming to do is a kind of two, three year uh, timeline to make a major discovery. And your objectives? Uh, you're, I guess, you're on phase one, phase one of your drill program now. What do you hope to achieve then uh, with phase one? We, we want to, A, uh, start following the, this non-minimization from surface, start start tracking it. And already, you know, we're finding that actually a lot of it is tracking to, to a central point from these four kind of targets we're working on many, uh-huh. which is great. That's exactly what we want to be seeing. So that's great news. And, uh, you know, we were focused initially on basically shallow drilling. The initial plan when we started this drilling in, in February was kind of 100, 150 meter holes. Actually, we've just completed two holes down to 350 meters because we uh-huh. kept hitting interesting, interesting core. So the team keep drilling. So definitely, you know, fascinated to get SA results. You know, it's annoying. It really is annoying that, you know, SA's are so slow. And you know, we've had a lot of dialogue actually while I've just been at site about trying to get improvements in, in the time of the turnaround on the SA. Unfortunately, it's an industry wide standard at the moment. So, but there's mm-hmm. so many targets, Jay. I mean, delighted with, you know, we're really delighted with the property. And we, 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 we know there's a lot of gold across the surface in multiple parts. And the interesting thing, and I think it really needs to kind of become clearer as we, we advance the property, it's there's multiple terrains. You know, we have gold at surface in the valley, we have gold at surface in the mountains. Uh, and we believe it's all one system with multiple, multiple phases of mineralization gone through the system. We're definitely looking at overprinting and multiple phases. We're also starting to find that a fair amount of copper and silver as well. You know, when we started out, we thought it was orogenic gold, pure gold, you know, primarily gold. But already you're starting to find quite a lot of samples of, of copper and silver in some of these target areas. Again, indicating multiple phases of mineralization and a big system. So very delighted and, you know, looking to really advance and understand you know, the scale and the, the, the source. If we can start to track down the source, you know, the source could be a monster. So that's the initial focus on this phase one. And, you know, delighted, delighted with the way things are going and looking forward to getting more results out to the market uh, over, over the coming months. Yeah, I, I just noticed from your, uh, from your website, there's a lot of really exciting uh, surface samples that have been picked up. And um, I'm, I'm wondering... Um, your good relations with the locals, uh, those are always issues. Uh, any uh, infrastructure, I suppose, is pretty strong there, given there's a mine just down the road a little ways. Yeah, yeah. No, great, great. Key points. Infrastructure is really important in exploration, right? You discover a monster deposit in the middle of nowhere, you got hundreds of millions of dollars in infrastructure. We're right by Archinatic, which was just mined out by Alan Moss uh, two years ago. Um, we're also very close to the city of Kaborka, about 12 kilometers from the southern tip of our project to Kaborka. And then the locals, yeah, we're on, we're on private ranches. The whole property is covered by two private ranches, which is great. You know, having private access to private ranches really is what you want in Mexico. And then the local ajito, we employ the local ajito, and we've done that from day one and on purpose. So all the geological helpers are from the local ajito and really built a good relationship with the local people. Uh, and, you know, they, they want us to make a discovery. Uh, people in, in these remote parts of Mexico, they know the benefits of a new mine coming online. So a lot of strong local support. So I believe you have a 
uh, meter drill program going on now. Uh, can you can you comment on how much of that has been drilled? How many drill assays are you waiting for now? Yeah, we're waiting for quite a few, Jay, and uh, we, we're, we've now done about three and a half thousand meters. Uh, we only have released the first eight holes, which is only a total of seven seven hundred ten meters. So a lot pending. Uh-huh. And uh, hopefully we'll start to get some back in the near future uh, that we can release. Um, but we, really, this is something we want to improve. And uh, I think we will make some changes, actually, to get quicker turnaround time on, on the essays. Um, because it's important for, for us. You know, we, As people understand in exploration, you don't know until you get the essay back the result of the hole. So you, you think you've right. got a good hole, but until you get the essay back, you're waiting. Yeah. The sooner you get that back, the sooner you can plan around that. So. Definitely uh, something we want to change to, to get quicker turnaround. Yeah, I know there's companies that are dealing with that and learning ways uh, learning ways to speed things up because it is essential because time is money and you're waiting for assays and you don't know where to where to put the drill hole down next. Um, well, so you're I guess then what as far as investors are concerned, uh, first of all, you know with <laughs> with a twelve million dollar market cap um, Canadian. Uh, and a gold market that looks like it could be ready to take off. I mean, this is a time I think people might want to really take a closer look at your at your company and, and consider uh, uh, putting their big toe in the water. Um, so I guess I guess in closing, and uh, what we need, I guess what we just need to look at then, and uh, is keep our eyes on on assays and and your press releases and and keep up with your story. Um, so you'll conclude this current drill program when about. You you expect? Well, we we we've, uh, the board approved ten thousand meters, but actually we're well capitalized to keep going. I mean, I think um, the the rate we're going, we're drilling about a thousand and a half meters a month. Um, uh-huh. So because we're more we're we're, we're not drilling in one area, we're really doing exploration drilling, keep moving the rig around. Yeah, uh, how to create the spot path, etc. So at this rate, you know, it'll be most of the year. Um, we might speed things up later in the year, bring on a second rig. Um, but really, you know, we, we want to, as mentioned, we want to start honing in on, on where we believe the source of a lot of the system is and then maybe uh, speed mm-hmm. things out. But uh, at this rate, we'll, we should have pretty constant news flow coming over the over the remainder of the year from drilling, which will be great. A lot of catalysts. And okay. Of I mean, we're really, great time to buy the stock. We're not trading much above cash. I mean, you know, you get an okay, I don't, a I, potential multi-bagger is, is a great time. I hear you. I hear you. We're out of time, though, unfortunately, but we'll uh, we'll be talking to you again, I'm sure, in the future. It is a, an exciting story, and uh, look forward to keeping up with you in the future. Thank you so much. Folks, we do have to go to break now, but don't go away. Peter Buchbar will be with us to talk about, well, he's going to tell us how his $9 billion Blakely advisory firm is investing their clients' monies in these tumultuous markets. So don't go away. You're going to find, I think you're going to find Peter Buchbar's uh, insights very valuable. So don't go away. We'll be right back. Reina Gold is a newly listed company trading on the OTCQB under the symbol REYGF and on the TSX Venture Exchange under the symbol REYG. Its flagship asset, La Gloria, is a 24,000-hectare district-scale property in the prolific Mojave Sonora Megashire in Mexico, between La Herradura, Mexico's biggest gold mine by Fresnillo, and El Chanate mine by Alamos Gold. La Gloria has very high-grade sampling and is in the first phase of a 10,000-meter drill program. The technical team is led by Dr. Peter McGaw, co-founder of Mag Silver, and Doug Kirwin, former VP of Ivanhoe Mines. 
Learn more at reinagold.com. Timberline Resources is a mineral exploration and resource development company focused on gold discovery in the world-class mining jurisdiction of Nevada. The company's flagship Eureka Project hosts a significant gold resource and drill-indicated upside potential at nearby higher-grade targets. Timberline Resources trades in Canada under the symbol TBR and on the OTCQB in the U.S. under the symbol TLRS. To learn more about this district-scale asset with exciting discovery potential, please visit www.timberlineresources.co. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. You're listening to Turning Hard Times into Good Times with your host, Jay Taylor. If you have a question or comment about today's show, Jay would love to hear from you at 1-866-472-5790. That's 1-866-472-5790. You can also send an email to questionsfortaylor at gmail.com. That's questions, the number four, taylor at gmail.com. Now, back to our program. Welcome back to Turning Hard Times to Good Times. I'm your host, Jay Taylor, and I'm really happy to have Peter Buchvar with me once again. He is the Chief Investment Advisor of Blakely Advisory Group. It's a $9 billion of under management of the firm. Uh, he is also editor of the, of the Book Report. He previously was Chief Market Analyst for the Lindsay Group. It's a macroeconomic and market research firm started by Larry Lindsay. Uh, and many of you, probably most of you, have seen him one time or another on CNBC. He's a frequent uh, guest and analyst at CNBC. We've uh, enjoyed his commentary for many years. Peter has been on this show a number of times before, but it's always good to have him back, especially at times like these when the markets are quite challenging, to say the least. Thanks for joining me, Peter. Thanks, Jay. I appreciate uh, having me on your show. It's really good to have you, and um, I'd, I'd like to get your sort of big-picture view here. What is your current assessment of today's economy and global financial markets? I know that's a big, big picture, but maybe we can drill down on a, on a few issues uh, after we get that sort of big-picture view. Well, I think the, the, the challenge of, for the global financial markets is there's a, a confluence of events coming together uh, that create this sort of perfect storm. We have, and this really started last year, uh, with the compression of PE multiples right. for a lot of the high-flying stocks. So you, when you look back a year plus, we sort of hit peak euphoria in February 2021 when the meme stock craze uh, reached its pinnacle. And then ever since then, uh, we've seen uh, a lot of the air bleed out of, of the high-flyers. Now, going into this year, I think we are, particularly over the past month, uh, so we have the PE multiple compression that uh-huh. started there, as I mentioned, but then metastasized to other parts of the market uh-huh. and even got to the big names, the Amazons, the Googles, the Microsofts, the Apples, uh, certainly the Netflix, where uh, their multiples also were, were, were shaved, so to speak. Mm-hmm. But mm-hmm. now... Uh, and I think this was really made writ large last week with the earnings from Walmart and Target. Mm-hmm. There's now concerns about margin compression. At the same time, we might be on the cusp of revenue compression uh, as the economy, uh, I believe, slows further from here. 
Uh, we know that Europe is either in a recession, we're just beginning one, or close to it. Uh, China, obviously, uh, the second biggest economy uh, with all their shutdowns, uh, seeing seeing dramatic slowdown in, in self-induced uh, slowdown uh, mm-hmm. growth. And, uh, you know, however anyone wants to think about China, we need China to grow. We need strength in their economy. We need strength in their consumer. But until they get off their their policy, their strict policy, uh, we're certainly not going to get it. So that's what, at the end of the day, moves stock prices. It's, it's what the multiple you're going to pay on earnings. And uh, unfortunately, I think both are shrinking. Now, with respect to the global economy, you know, I've touched upon that and that we are uh, reaching a sensitivity point you can say, with respect to inflation relative to one's wages. So we see uh, consumers that are now focused on more on needs than wants. Uh That means that they're shifting the mix of what they're buying, and that was made clear from Target and Walmart. Their comps were fine in the aggregate, but they certainly made, uh, made note of the changing mix of what they sell. And at the same time, as I said, we're seeing that that, that, that margin hit. So mm-hmm. I think it's going to be tough going uh, from here for the, both the economy and markets. I think that uh, we haven't even started QT, quantitative tightening, which begins in a week, which will start uh, at about $45 billion a month and then scale up to $95 billion. And uh, that will then also create a, a whole new dynamic for the markets because it is a double form of tightening when you combine QT with with the rise in the Fed funds rate. Now, I do believe that uh, the Fed funds market has priced in all these rate hikes, uh, but I'm not sure how we price in QT until we actually see it. Uh huh. So you sort of led to my next question. Uh, I guess uh, I was going to ask you, maybe we've had a 20% decline at least before today. Um, in the S&P, a lot more than that in the NASDAQ, as you, as you noted, a lot of the high-tech things and high flyers have come down a lot. And I take it from your comments, what you're saying so far is you don't think we're anywhere near the end of this bear market. I don't. I think that um, when you look at, and just being a student of the market, when you look at previous bear markets of note, not just the cyclical 20% correction that people will want to term a, uh, a bear market, you know, they tend to last a year, 18 months, 24 months, and they, on average, fall about 35%. And considering how, uh, how much this bull market uh, coincided with, with easy money and a lot of speculation, um, I can't rule out the possibility of, of similar behavior that we saw in the two bear markets prior to mm-hmm. COVID. Mm-hmm. Uh, sure. I'm not saying it's going to happen, but I think in, th- in this kind of a market, People have to, rather than being dogmatic and saying, okay, I'm making this big call, I think they should just be aware of their new investing surroundings, which has clearly changed, and really start planning for different outcomes and not rule any particular outcome out uh, because this this can bring a lot of potential different outcomes, and uh, I think investors should just be uh, uh, cognizant of that. Mm-hmm. Keep an open mind uh, and not lock yourself into something that might be tor- uh, terribly wrong. So I hear you saying that the margins are, are decreasing because of the mix. People are buying what they have to have, not necessarily what they want to have. Uh, but the top line growth hasn't really declined that much in places like Walmart and those retail retailers. Or is it? Or or do or well, uh, 
Yeah. Yeah, I mean, they're hanging in right now because, again, people are just shifting the mix of what they spend but still spending. But we could be on the cusp of something. Home Depot, they said that their comps exceeded expectations. Mm -hmm. But that was was in the face of a decline in the number of transactions. Mm -hmm. It was more than offset by an increase in the dollar amount of those transactions. Mm-hmm. Now, Home Depot, it's clear, has a higher uh, average income customer, and mm-hmm. that's partly due to, well, if you go to Home Depot, chances are you own a home mm-hmm. as opposed to renting one, and as opposed to Walmart, which has uh, customers that span the entire income spectrum. So, uh, But I, I think that consumers are, are beginning to start to feel this inflation. Uh, I was reading in, in the journal today uh, online that um, they were interviewing, they were talking about small businesses getting affected by and getting worried about the economy. And there was a design and remodel uh, business that said that they had a customer that was, that just canceled a $900,000 renovation to their mm. home <laughs> because they were worried about the economy and the stock market. So where the stock market goes also has, an impact on consumer behavior, particularly those that own stocks, while inflation has a pronounced impact on uh, those that can least afford it and whose wages are not keeping pace. So the combination, uh, and we're in a consumer-led economy, uh, should lead to a slowdown and more moderation in consumer spending in the aggregate. Right. And inflation, of course, is is the boogeyman. And how do you see that playing out? Some people are suggesting, you know, you, you just referred to the weakness in some of these retail uh, companies and uh, some weakness in other parts of the economy, too, I believe. But to what extent do you think that we may have seen the peak in inflation rates and we might have some good news in terms at least of a reduced increase or, um, you know, the, the rate of inflation perhaps declining from here? Well, I'll start with the boogeyman word is correct, but in multiple ways. It hurts, like I said, those that can least afford it. It basically throws a lot of mud uh, in the gears of business and, and contracts um, profit margins if, for those companies that don't have pricing power. And thirdly, it, it puts handcuffs on the Fed. It, it limits their ability to react. Well, on one hand, they're reacting by tightening policy in response to inflation, but let's just, we, we are in a stagflationary environment, which I think we clearly are in. It also handcuffs them and limits their ability to, to be flexible, sort of kryptonite uh, to a central bank. Uh, so I think that that, that, is, that is the one issue. Now, in terms of, of it peaking out, we, we, have, we need to break out inflation between goods and services. I do think on the good side, we've likely seen peak inflation. Uh, now, that's two reasons. Number one, it's just because the comparisons are so difficult in, in the quarters to come, the months and quarters to come, that just from the math, uh, the rate of change will slow. But I think that consumers are now, and we're and, you know, to touch upon, again, the changing mix of consumer spending, uh-huh. that, uh, that we're beginning to see a slowdown in spending on goods. And even Walmart and Target, they were double and tripling, triple ordering stuff. Uh, that they thought that they needed to have on hand, and now they have an inventory issue. So there are going to be some pockets of, of, of retail sales where uh, those companies are going to slash prices to get rid of inventory. So good side, definitely topped out. Services side, not yet. 
because uh, 40% of core CPI is uh, rent and uh, the Bureau of Labor Statistics uh, numbers with uh, CPI within the BLS data has yet to reflect fully uh, the rents we've seen. So we're going to see continued upward pressure there. Uh, now, in the aggregate, yes, inflation rate of change has topped, but that's not really the question for markets is where does it settle out at? Mm-hmm. How quickly does it go back to the one and a half to two percent rate of change that we saw pre-COVID? And uh, I don't think that's anytime soon. I think maybe we slow down to a four percent ish type inflation rate this year, which is still double what we've seen, still puts pressure on the Fed, still creates problems for other central banks that are still while they're they're still easy, although albeit, you know, tightening off that. And then, uh, you know, we'll we'll, we'll play it by year next year. I'm just trying to figure out this year. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Well, it certainly is. uh, It certainly is a challenge and inflation. I mean, it just some people have, uh, you know, I mean, there's a lot of people, I guess, make money selling newsletters by being, uh, you know, by by overstating things and making things seem spectacular. But some people have. Uh, compare this to the worst inflation since the 1970s. I'm old enough to have lived through that time frame. Um, I, I guess my station in life is a little better than it was when I was uh, 20 in my 20s. But uh, I just wonder, um, you know, how far this thing can go. It's, it's really a very serious social problem now, isn't it? And do you think that we're going to start to see more money, uh, more checks being written to, to people who can? I mean, the Biden administration is talking about uh, forgiving all the rent, all the uh, tuition, student tuition, college tuition, all that sort of thing. You think we're likely to see more of that sort of um, social spending coming out of this administration? And if so, might that not continue the inflationary problem? Well, we're about five months plus from the midterm elections. And you can be sure that the Democrats, who obviously hold the purse strings, will do everything that they can to maintain control. And that will include sending money out. (laughs) But to your point, uh, when you have this inflationary uh, environment that we're in, while I'm very sympathetic to those that are, that are hurting from it uh, and do need the help, I'd rather them see, see them get the help on the wage side rather than the handout side. Right. Mm -hmm. Because keeping, keeping a level of demand up, which would which sending checks out would do would only further exacerbate the inflation problems we have. And we need the demand side to slow in order to be one side of of, of, of the inflation story that, that that caps it. We need prices to remain high at the same time to stimulate more supply, which then would come into the market to quell prices. We need the, the 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 lack of a market between the government spending five trillion dollars over two years between Trump and Biden, the Fed essentially financing it. You didn't need to go to school and take economics 101 to understand that that was going to be that was going to lead to inflation. So now we need less fiscal spending, less monetary easing, which we're obviously getting through the tightening, and and sort of let the market uh, correct itself. And, uh, and and cool down these prices. Mm-hmm. Peter, how much higher? I mean, we need to see higher interest rates, obviously, to come. It, it's it's necessary. If we had a free market, we would have higher interest rates. I have no doubt. Um, when you have inflation running at eight percent, I guess. I mean, the key to me is inflation coming down. If inflation can come down, then it's, the interest rate 
issue isn't as important. I think you'd agree. Uh, How much higher do you think interest rates can go before some real problems start to occur in the financial markets? Well, we've already seen uh, a 20% decline in the right. S&P, and uh-huh. we've already seen a 25% plus decline in uh, in the NASDAQ, mm-hmm. uh, 26% even with today's rally, and that's in response to higher interest rates. We're already seeing the pace of housing transactions slow in response to mm-hmm. higher interest rates. Mm-hmm. Uh, so we already, we already are seeing a response to higher interest rates. Mm-hmm. Uh, but, you know, things don't, Things don't happen all at once. You know, these things unfold in a process, and, and that process is is unfolding in front of our eyes. All right. Just with a couple of minutes left, how are uh, you mentioned that you want to try to figure out what's going on this year, and you'll worry about next year, next year. But what what are you advising your clients? How are you advising them to invest at this stage, and how are you investing on their behalf? Well, I'll start by saying it's it's obviously very difficult. Uh, if people, a lot of it comes down to one's time horizon. Sure. Uh, we tell our clients if, if you have a big financial expense that you need to save for for the next year or two, whether it's college, a wedding, a big party, or whatever, uh, that money should be out of the market. Mm-hmm. That money should be in cash. Your liquidity needs should be spoken for. Uh, I, and, and outside of that, for those that, that want to be invested, you know, we're favoring uh, value stocks over the, the growthy stuff. Uh, the, the, the stuff that didn't work over the last five years, uh, we expect to work over the coming five years. We've been bullish on commodities, so we have decent exposure there. Uh, I've been stubbornly bullish on gold and silver and uh, not sure yet what that's gotten me. Uh, but at least this year, they're actually trading pretty well. But I still remain pretty bullish on, on that. And I still think that investors, when looking out over five plus years, still should be looking internationally because those markets have dramatically underperformed looking back the past 10 years. And I think that uh, it's time for the rest of the world's markets to catch up to the dramatic outperformance of the U.S. Now, also part of that is I, I think the dollar has benefited solely due to interest rate differentials and the, the Fed that has gotten ahead of other central banks in tightening policy. But I think that's been well-priced in. I think even the ECB is talking about possibly getting out of negative interest rates this year and uh-huh. even maybe having a plus sign in front of their overnight rate. <laughs> uh, the, the, the spreads between interest rates in Europe and in the U.S. have compressed. And if the dollar does go, it has topped out and goes through a period of, of softness, then that will also help those international markets as well. Mm-hmm. Right. Very good. All right. Well, that's a good uh, place to leave it, Peter. Thank you very much for spending the time with us. Always great to hear your ideas. Uh, very, uh, very, very valuable information that you've left with our listeners. I thank you very much for being with us, and I hope we can catch Thanks, up with you again sometime. Yes, thank you sure. very much. All righty. Okay, folks. Well, that is it uh, for this week. Next week, uh, Doug Nolan will be with us. Uh, Quentin Henning as well to talk about SK Mining Corp. Uh, until then, goodbye and God's blessings to you. Thank you again for listening to Turning Hard Times into Good Times with Jay Taylor. Please join us again next Tuesday at noon Pacific Time, 3 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Business Channel.